This episode of Motley Fool is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 14th of June, and we're going to be giving an update on U.S. infrastructure spending. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me in the studio is a very special guest, Eugene Malero from Transport Topics. Welcome back to the show. Good to be here. Uh, Eugene spends a lot of his time uh, up on Capitol Hill, and he's a regular on C-SPAN. And for anyone listening who doesn't know Transport Topics, it's the go-to place for uh, news in the freight industry, covering everything from regulation to new tech to major industry events. Um, Eugene, you were first on the show back in March, I think it was March 1st, to talk about the infrastructure budget proposal. So just to recap that for listeners, President Trump had made the uh, suggestion, or he made the improvement of infrastructure a big part of his campaign pledge. Um, Earlier in the year, he proposed a $4.4 trillion budget that included $200 billion for infrastructure spending. Um, The plan for that was that it would be leveraged up to $1.5 trillion through a mix of federal, state and local Uh, government spending and private sector spending too. Um, The spending plan was pretty contentious, uh, mostly for the deficit that it would create. But one thing that politicians and everybody else could agree on is that the US really needed infrastructure spending and it really needed to improve their infrastructure. Um, We mentioned the same stat last time, but the American Society of Civil Engineers did their review that they do every four years. And I think think they gave the country a D plus. D plus. The roads got a D. The roads got a deer, yeah. roads, bridges, drinking water, ports, dams, school buildings, airports and railways. So not a good state for the country. It currently ranks 12th out of 138 countries in terms of the quality of its infrastructure. So all that doom and gloom, but <laughs> recently you visited a sizable infrastructure project in Nevada. I think it's amazing that you managed to uh, go to Nevada for a work <laughs> trip, off to Vegas for a work trip. Um but yeah, tell us about the project. It's called Project Neon, which seems apt. Um, but yeah, let us let Yeah, us. so um, I want to say about 10 years ago, the people in, in Nevada, the mayor, the leadership, and even the state legislature um, agreed that the growing congestion downtown and the periphery, the periphery downtown of the Strip was just getting too chaotic. We were talking about a four mile stretch that was at times during rush hour seeing an hour up to two hours of bumper to bumper traffic. And all of it was culminating and collecting in an interchange that they call the spaghetti the spaghetti bowl, which is where Interstate 15 meets with a local road. Um, and the, the avenues, I want to say, is um, uh, the, the, I forget the name of the avenue, but one just a few blocks down from the strip and essentially the big the chamber of commerce just met with all the members and said we need to do something uh, the solution was to really just elongate and widen this this strip of i-15 um, a bunch of permits later uh, we're talking 10 years in the making up it was until 2016 that they actually got uh, a bond approval from the voters. They were able to get some federal loans, minimal federal loans, and they were able to get a lot of buy-in from the private sector 
of course, we don't have to remind people who's in Vegas, you know, the big hotels, Marriott, etc. So all of them agreed that they needed to put in a billion dollars worth of investment just to widen 3.7 miles, a 3.7 mile stretch of highway. It's that expensive, not only because of the real estate, but also because of the environmental protections that, that goes along with a project of that size. And in that terrain, we're talking the desert. So they've come up with a lot of, they find a lot of minerals, et cetera. Um, right now, Project Neon broke ground in 2016. It's uh, expected to conclude uh, next summer, um, and the goal is to reduce the average uh, traffic time by 30 seconds, uh, and this is to alleviate congestion of 300,000 cars uh, hourly uh, tra traveling through this spaghetti bowl area. Um, to have, and their ultimate goal is to minimize the lane changes. They have something that they say is twenty-five thousand uh, lane changes a day in this in this uh, um, this this strip of highway, and bring that down to something like twenty, etc. Yeah, and, and sorry, that's thirty minutes, not uh, thirty seconds. Is that right? The time saving. Yes. Yes. Um, and it would presumably be a lot safer. I saw one report that was saying there's an average of three accidents daily. Is that's that right. Correct? Yeah. And obviously, for your industry, um, the industry that you cover in trucking, that's a huge expense for the trucking industry. Yeah. And not only was um, the congestion really bad, but it's also the safety factor. And you had a lot of trucks um, that were getting caught in traffic, and statistically, nationally, about 20% of the car accidents involve a truck. Um, so it, when you looked at Nevada, the safety was a component, and then the state legislature really wanted to expand and enhance the freight connectivity. So it was all about mobility, and while there's not going to be a truck-dedicated lanes, widening um, the 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 interstate is going to facilitate the truck traffic because you're going to have exit-only lanes that are going to be dedicated for cars, actually. So this is going to uh, free up the, the highway for the trucks. Um, and this is all expected to enhance um, productivity. The Chamber of Commerce expects to see a reduction in, um, in congestion and a boost in um, in commerce, and they're they're actually calculating this in the hundreds of millions mm -hmm. over the over the years. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and you, you mentioned a couple of things about issues that they're kind of trying to resolve. Um, I was reading in one of your articles actually that the number of stoplights that trucks were facing was causing fuel consumption in that area to be high, and kind of the air, pol air pollution to be high. So the air quality will be another consideration um, for this move, but. Uh, you mentioned a few challenges that they're facing. Um, can you just talk a little bit about this? Because I feel like it's a really good example for people. Um, if you're if you're at home and you don't really understand how big and mon momentous it is to get a construction project off the road of this scale, um, but in terms of time and legislation and all those kinds of things. Yeah, like I said, it was uh, 10 years in the making, and the uh, delays were, well, not delays, but, you know, the time process, yeah, yeah is uh, primarily the environmental uh, 
process, just getting the permitting. Uh, you have not only the federal agency have to come in, but then you have the state and county. Uh, Clark County, Nevada is where uh, Las Vegas is, and they actually have some very stringent environmental uh, protection laws. Um, so we're talking just the EPA at the federal level. It could take anywhere between three to seven years. Um, in Nevada, what what the city officials have been aiming to do is to create an interconnectivity um, model. So this is to connect all the modes, the airport, the highway, um, and then bring in, they actually have established a monorail, so transit, so they can all connect and enhance the mobility of not only the pedestrian, but also uh, the the truck and the freight. Mm -hmm. Um, So because of that, you've had um, the the local agencies uh, coming in and meeting with the contractors. And in this case, it was a firm called Qit that came in and worked with the city. Um, And then just putting the bids alone um, is something that could take up a, a year. Um, and then once you actually break ground and start with the construction, there's something that every three months you have some surveyors from the state to have to come in and assess what, what's happening to make sure the air quality is not being impacted. You don't uh, bump into some gas that is being leaked out into the atmosphere, et cetera. And then uh, every, uh, every six months you have a federal inspector, ideally, uh, who comes in and also reviews the project. Um, so this is all to ensure, you know, the protection. And this is if it goes smoothly. Uh, this didn't happen in this project, but let's say, I'm not trying to be funny, but you come across dinosaur bones or something mm-hmm. like that, that really delays your project mm-hmm. because now you have to bring in a whole different set of people to analyze it. This is actually something that's... And, and let's say they, they come across some burial grounds that also delays the project, and not to digress too much, but that actually has happened in Hawaii with their transit project, and that's been the cause of that delay. Um, so in this Project NEON, it's been relatively smooth um, with the under environmental permit process. Uh, the big lift was with the financing, you know, getting all those uh, state bonds approved, getting uh, the buy-in from the federal loans and grants, and getting the private sector to put in the money. Um, but yeah, and when you know, if we take a step back, streamlining the the environmental process is something that is at the top of the list for the uh, Trump administration. Yeah. Uh, Trump has talked about this extensively that he wants to reduce the. It's not the average, but he says bring the environmental permitting process from ten years uh, down to two years. Mm-hmm. And that would, for private companies, that really boosts the return that they can get because they're spending all this money up front. And then especially if it's things like, you know, ports and toll roads and things, it, they need to reduce the amount of time that it takes them to get their money back out of that project. So, um, And it certainly seems like the example you're giving here in Nevada is a prime example of state, federal and private investment to get something off the ground um, in a more organic fashion than I think President Trump's put forward. That's right. So uh, this uh, the Project Neon and Nevada as a whole, they're actually being uh, studied by not only infrastructure firms, but also other states and cities um, as a model for interconnectivity across the modes, airport, 
transit and cars and trucks, uh, and also how you finance big-scale projects, mm -hmm. how you bring in the private sector uh, and establish a public-private partnership. Um, that's the anchor of the Trump administration's infrastructure plan, um, but Nevada was very fortunate that they had some really big companies and really big investors who were willing to pump in a lot of money because they knew that they could get the return eventually uh, with the tourism business. They mm -hmm. knew that they had such an anchor destination um, uh, allure that uh, there was enough of incentive to invest money there. The, the problem comes in when you look at states such as Wyoming um, that desperately needs money for repairs on their freight corridors, their, their highways, et cetera. They, they struggle to bring in private investors because they lack the requisite uh, vehicle traffic um, to, if you set up a tolling booth, you know, and let's say, I'm making up the money, but the numbers, but it, let's say you need a thousand cars a day to recover mm -hmm. some sort of an investment. You won't see that in Wyoming. In Nevada, especially in Las Vegas, I didn't know this going in, but the majority of the tourists to visit Nevada, they actually drive to the city. They don't fly. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they'll come from California. They'll come from Phoenix. They'll come from you know the West Coast. Um, so that's why this project, again, Project NIA, was so important. And, and they actually, when I met with the mayor, she said this was more important than revamping our airport. This is actually, you know, everybody really drives around. It's the West Coast mentality. So the car is really a big mm -hmm. part of people's lives. Um, and it was all about reducing congestion. And just a quick point that uh, at the freight industry, congestion actually, uh, studies have found uh, its uh, impacts of productivity somewhere around $63 billion annually. It's wow. a cost of the trucking industry. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, we're going to talk a bit more. Obviously, Eugene, one of your uh, your specialty essentially is politics and following Capitol Hill. So we're going to talk a bit more about that. But first, I want to thank our sponsor for today. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. Sleep is pretty important to me, as I'm sure it is for most people, especially considering we spend a third of our lives sleeping on a mattress. That's a lot of time. For sleeping and as you may as well be comfortable when you're doing it. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and bounce. And the breathable design helps you stay cool and regulate your body temperature through the night. And almost the best part about Casper is just how easy it is to order. You don't have to go to the mattress store and deal with salespeople. Uh, you can order online and your mattress is delivered right to your door in a compact box with free shipping and free returns to the US and Canada. The box seems so small when it arrives that you think, how can it possibly hold a mattress? But it does. And uh, taking it out to the box and uh, getting it set up is part of the fun, I think. And if you're worried about committing to a mattress you haven't tried out, Casper gets that you want to truly sleep on it before committing. That's why they give you 100 nights to try it out. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. So uh, you have recently been, 
You recently wrote an article, sorry, that used an, an amazing uh, analogy. You said that you described it as the capital's equivalent, equivalent of spotting a white rhino in the wild. The leadership of the U.S. Senate announced that the chamber intends to remain in session for some of August, which is usually their vacation. Is that, that correct? That's right. And I got to tell you, I'm not exaggerating. I've been covering Congress for more than 10 years. I remember the last time uh, a leader said, insinuated that they were going to work in August. Uh, that was uh, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and this was during the whole Obamacare debate when they were trying to get the bill into law. Uh, and I'm telling you, people were going mad and just <laughs> like, you know, losing it, That the lawmakers. Uh, so we found um, McConnell, the leader of the Senate, uh, say, I believe it was last week, that they were going to stay in session for he was going to cancel the August recess, uh, but except you're going to get one week off. So they're still going to have the first week in August to go on vacation, but then they're going to work the next three weeks. Um, and it's really worth noting, I'm actually not trying to pick on the Senate, but they technically only work three days a week anyway, from Tuesday through Thursday. Mm -hmm. So come on. Uh, <laughs> and they're off to Labor Day the whole week for Labor Day. Oh, so wow. yeah, so they're working collectively three times three, nine days in August. They're going to be the only organization that wants Labor Day to fall on a Wednesday then. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what was interesting is that um, there, there's a, a political component as to why McConnell did this and is to take time away from uh, incumbent Democrats uh, cut into their campaign time. Typically in August, the incumbents who are up for re-election in the Senate, they go back home and they really uh, mm -hmm. hit the campaign trail. Um, so that's the, 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 the political theory here. Uh, but McConnell said that they're going to stay in session so they can work on uh, the nominees that President Trump has uh, put forward and also the spending bills, the appropriation mm -hmm. bills. So it's our uh, infrastructure spending. That's right. So one of them is the transportation uh, fiscal 2019 bill that has passed at a committee and in the House it passed their committee as well. Um, and this is actually quite interesting. Um, there was all the indications at the start of the year, even from President Trump, was that this was going to be the year of infrastructure. And we saw the infrastructure plan unveiled in February 12th out of the White House, this $200 billion down payment. No indication as to where they will come up with the $200 billion, by the way, uh, to take you to $1.5 trillion over 10 years. And, the, and that would be by getting Goldman Sachs and other people to put in the money to get to $1.5 trillion. By the way, Goldman Sachs never said, yeah, we're, yeah we'll go along with this. Um, so here comes the appropriation seasons in May and earlier this month. And um, the chairman of the Transportation Funding Committee in the House said, I understand that, I'm paraphrasing, I understand that we're not going to have an infrastructure bill because that's what the White House said, um, but this this appropriations bill is going to be the infrastructure bill for the year. Well, that's not necessarily the case because we have an infrastructure, uh, an appropriations bill every year anyway, and they're technically not a long-term infrastructure bill to begin with. They're actually the bill that keeps the lights on at the Department of Transportation for the next fiscal year, for mm -hmm. the upcoming fiscal year. And it'll have some sort of uh, incentives in here and there and boosts in funding for infrastructure grants, 
formerly known as the Tiger Grants. Now they've been renamed to Build. Um, and in the Senate, um, likewise, uh, I interviewed the chairwoman of the Transportation Funding Committee there, uh, Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, and she said, yeah, you know, this um, our appropriations bill is actually the down payment for President Trump's uh, infrastructure bill, um, which is actually quite, again, it, remarkable because she's been the chairwoman of that committee for several years. And she didn't say that when uh, President Obama was trying to get his infrastructure package uh, passed into law. So this shift of um, kind of just the, the shifting of the messaging uh, to tell the public that while they're not going to work on this long-term infrastructure package that is, as we talked about, you know, badly needed, um, that the appropriations bills are the ones that are going to be, you know, the substitute for for whatever, you know, Trump really wanted to carry forward. And kind of just to put a bow on the whole thing, it's actually very unlikely that the Senate and the House are going to pass the appropriation bills anyway. They haven't done that in more than 10 years. What they've been, Congress has been doing is they've been just jumbling all the, uh, infra- uh, the, the appropriations bills into one giant bill they call an omnibus. And the transportation component is one of those 12 bills in that giant massive bill. And they send it over to the White House for the signature. So this down payment on infrastructure um, and calling the calling the bill the infrastructure bill, I myself and other people I talk to say that really misses the mark. Okay. So is this so? What does this bode for really for the industry? Does this mean that this they're postponing essentially the creation of of a proper infrastructure spending plan, or does it mean that uh, each year we're going to kind of see the same? Uh, same old debate. Well, they have right now. We haven't seen any state formally announce that they're going to delay a project. That's not to say they won't, mm-hmm. um, because we are still operating. The country is under a highway law that authorizes projects through fiscal 2020. So when we approach fiscal 20, when we're in fiscal 2019. That is when I suspect we're going to see the vulnerable states that are really hurting for money. Typically, these are rural states. So like Arkansas, we saw Arkansas kind of uh, be one of the states five years ago to announce that it was delayed, going to delay projects because it was missing uh, a reliable federal partner. Um, what So that's going to happen, I think, sometime next year. What we've been seeing right now is the trend of states – um, authorizing massive amounts of money uh, for infrastructure projects. So f- emulating what Nevada did 10 years ago mm-hmm. and then five years ago so they can get that boost on Project Neon and some other big projects. Uh, so right now the latest state to be working on a um, on a big infrastructure package is Missouri. Uh, and then there's an expectation that other states are going to follow. Texas has a big infrastructure uh, bill in the works. There's also Oregon that is uh, doing a very intricate pilot program on a vehicle miles travel uh, fee. Uh, so there's a very strong indication that that program is going to be successful, according to Oregon officials. And they're going to really make that uh a bigger pilot program that actually could become a federal program. So 
I think the states and cities are just going to hang back and see what happens sometime next year. And that's when we can start seeing, you Mm -hmm. know, some announcement on delays. Okay. So I I guess at this stage, it's, uh, and I think we said this when we initially talked about the infrastructure spending, investors shouldn't rush into infrastructure stocks just on the basis of, of this. However, there are so many other trends that are indicating that it's just inevitable that we will reach a tipping point for infrastructure spending and projects. Nevada that you visited, um, there was pressure there just internally from population expansion. The population grew between 2000 and 2010, 31%, over 31%. Between 2011 and 2016, it grew 8.5% in just that time. So, And we're seeing this in other areas too, and this whole trend towards urbanization, which uh, we talked about previously on the show on an episode about home builders. Uh, So we're, we're starting to see the scale sort of tipping towards rectifying some of these infrastructure issues. And if investors do want to get exposure into this segment, um, as the US seeks to reduce this infrastructure investment gap, there are a few stocks out there that I think would be interesting. Uh, it obviously covers, um, you mentioned earlier, some of the things, uh, Eugene, that infrastructure really covers, like utilities, water, um, everything from doing yep. the surveys. Broadband, yep. the ports, yeah, waterways, yep. canals. Um, so just a, a few stocks for people to put on their radar. McDermott International uh, ticket, MDR, they're in the process of buying Chicago Bridge and Iron. They are possibly a little overvalued right now, but they are a big project company. Um, they've been struggling recently with a lack of spending in energy and mining, which we've seen across the board with energy. Um, that should be starting to shake out now. And uh, Floor... Um, Ticker FLR. The stock recently took a hit after a disappointing quarter. They lowered their earnings per share guidance for the year due to a cost overrun at a power project. Um, And investors are also concerned about declining project backlog. However, just to put that into perspective, the cost overrun is definitely isolated to this project. And although it obviously raises management questions, it's it is an isolated incident. And uh, their backlog is larger than most of their publicly traded competitors. So uh, it may be worth digging deeper on this uh, on this stock and seeing if it's, if it's slightly undervalued right now. Um, they're industry leading. They get a lot of awards for energy infrastructure projects. Um, the last stock I'll mention is ACOM. ACM is the ticker. They're well-placed to handle large government contracts. So specifically, if you're bullish on um, the state-funded uh, projects like in Nevada, they are well-placed to kind of make it, take advantage of that design, build, and finance. And they even operate infrastructure assets for the government and for businesses. And they recently merged with a competitor, URS, to increase their exposure to energy and transportation. And anyone who regularly listens to the show uh, knows that we like a little bit of energy exposure here because of um, the growing kind of price of oil and liquid natural gas and those kinds of things. And if you are an investor who prefers ETFs and mutual funds, there are a couple of options for you. Uh, iShares Global Infrastructure ETF, ticker IGF, and uh, Lazard Global Listing Infrastructure, GLIFX. Um, I would caution anybody to check the percentage of utilities that are in uh, that are within these baskets uh, just to check the utilities exposure. Uh, but generally, not bad options to check out. Um, so Eugene, if I, have I missed anything? Is there anything you would want to add? I just want to clarify that Project Neon stems from is Interstate 15 between Charleston Boulevard and Bonanza Road. Just a little fact checking <laughs> on my end. And the contractor, the main contractor, is Kewit Infrastructure West Company. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and then, like I said, it's going to be uh, debuting. The project is going to finalize sometime next summer. And they're expecting to have a big celebration. They're expecting to they're, they're going to invite President Trump and they're going to do the whole like Vegas, treat, Vegas treatment <laughs> and have like showgirls and everything there. Are you um, are you going to have to make another case to get back to that? I've been, you know, really suggesting that we need to follow the project through and we need a presence. We need a man on the right. ground. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, well, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you, as always, to the marvellously patient Austin Morgan, who's been particularly patient today for mixing the show. Uh, for Eugene, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on. Fool on.